And now, Girls in Hoodies. Hello, and welcome to the Girls in Hoodies podcast. My name is Emily Oshida. I'm an editor at Grantland.com, and with me is... Molly Lambert, a writer at Grantland. Um, we're going to start out with some sports. Sports. Why not? Let's, sports. Let's talk sports. This is um, this is not a sports podcast. Not the Huey Lewis album, sports. <laughs> That'll be it. That's a different pod. That's a whole week. <laughs> we'll, we'll do sports week on Grantland, but it's just the we Huey Lewis. Just looking at a Doobie Brothers poster right now. <laughs> and bring up that Doobie Brothers poster every week. Cause it's- <laughs> Until it until it vanishes into your apartment. Yeah, Um, (laughs) but uh, Molly has been watching this season of Hard Knocks on HBO, which I have watched before and enjoyed. I have not been watching this season, but we just wanted to have an appreciation of it. I think it was the season finale on Tuesday night, and the season finale sort of coincides with the beginning of the NFL season because they the whole thing is a little bit like an infomercial for the NFL. Of you watch the whole yeah. preseason, and then at the end, it's like, and see what happens. Well, it's like the first whole half of uh, American Idol, when it's just <laughs> the, the training and the camp and everything, yes. and then and then you get to the live shows. You get to learn people's names and faces and grow to love them, and then they get cut from the team, yeah. and it's sad. But I just you, wish that there was Hard Knocks for every no, team me too. every year, and you could choose which one you wanted to watch, and yeah. it was all beautifully shot. It is beautifully shot. <laughs> I... I love Hard Knocks. Um, I it's Atlanta. It was Atlanta, the Atlanta Falcons this year. And during the first episode, I was like, I have been here before when they went into somebody's <laughs> mansion. I was like, I feel like I am familiar with this setting. Oh, it's because it's like watching the Real Housewives of Atlanta. Was it actually one of their houses? Because uh, it wasn't. It was. It Portia was well, dated a guy or well, no it was married what, rather was married to well a lot of them were married to football players at one point or another that's kind of in the different settings of the different housewives there's like that's the, the occupations that all the husbands yeah. do and in Beverly Hills some of them are in Hollywood and some of them are plastic surgeons mm-hmm. and in Atlanta a lot of them are athletes a lot of the or the yeah, like athletes recording artists and, yeah athletes yeah. and musicians um but the uh, they were showing somebody's mansion, somebody's like Atlanta mansion, suburbs mansion, and I was like, oh, I've totally been in this house before. And then they cut to Kim Zolciak and Croy Bierman <laughs> in a different setup, and I was like, oh yeah, yeah, that's why it's because this is like watching Real Housewives of Atlanta from Croy Bierman's point of view instead of Kim Zolciak's, but Kim Zolciak is like in the background. Do you think that there's a difference between the the Atlanta mansion and like the Calabasas style? Yeah, mansion? totally, really slight difference. What's the difference? I'd say the Atlanta mansions are a little bit more like fake Southern style. Okay. As opposed to... Like veranda. Yeah. Like verandas, okay. porches, and that the Calabasas ones are a little more Mediterranean. I think there's definitely subtle but important differences between McMansions all over yeah. the country. You've got to have certain codes in there. That yeah. They have really beautiful backyards in Atlanta is what I've noticed. Everybody seems to have a beautiful sprawling green backyard yeah. that leads into like a forest and it seems very nice. Yeah. And a giant trampoline. That's that's a given across all chances. <laughs> everybody has a giant trampoline. Um, so what have been some of the highlights of this season? I mean, because I'm probably going to watch a my favorite stuff is all of the non-football stuff. Uh, the football stuff is interesting, but what I really like is seeing athletes just doing kind of mundane things, right. such as going shopping, you know, at Target or something, and hanging out with their wife and kids at home. And um, 
a lot of them, they kind of do the same thing every year of just, you know, showing you showing you the athletes as three-dimensional people by having them talk about sort of their hobbies and interests outside of sports. And so there's usually somebody who's a who's an artist. And this season there was a guy who was a painter and another guy who was a ceramicist who just was like, oh, when I get on the pottery wheel, that's like when I get all my all my peace. You know? Do you think that they get told to pick up an interesting hobby if no, they I know think, that they're um, going to be on hard knocks? I think a lot of athletes just, you've got to have an outlet that's not sports for something. You know, I just think it shows that they're multifaceted people, which is not what you see when you're watching sports because you're just seeing them as athletes on yeah. the field. But just to see sort of how, I don't know, I, I just, I love it. Yeah. Do you, I, I was just looking up because I wanted to know how far back it went because I think the first time I watched it was... It's like was, nine seasons. It started in 2001 with the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, but, you know, the style of it now, I haven't watched that far back. Oh, I guess it they took a long break. There was a five-year break. Yeah, there's been... This is the so ninth it started with season. the 07, which is... Okay, because I, I mean, I just think that those two styles inform each other so so much between uh hard knocks and friday night lights like i just feel like it's like if you are sad because friday night lights isn't on anymore you want to watch the the new class <laughs> like just uh get into hard knocks but yeah uh but i just i think that it's such a smart way that they choose to choose to present it i think i mean i watched i also watched some of 24 7 which is the boxing version of hard knocks um i watched just one i think it was before the the pacquiao and bradley fight that ended up being really contentious but like that i mean boxing is also fairly easy to get into so i didn't feel like i had to know what all these positions were or anything it's like oh the one guy wants to to fight the other guy (laughs) but i mean it's also incredibly well shot and just like very naturalistically produced and everything and i think that's a good documentary yeah i mean and that's that's the kind of thing like it's when you're walking watching any kind of documentary like any random thing that you find on netflix it's like if it's well produced and well done you can find yourself fascinated by any subject totally it doesn't feel like docu-reality even though it kind of is is. Like, there are definitely some things that are set up. Like, there is a big setup. And they're of, selling you something, too. And they're selling yeah. you something. But there, you know, there was a big thing about, uh, like, a sequence of this one guy just waiting for the phone call about whether or not he's getting cut. And he's, like, waiting for it and waiting for it. Then he gets the phone call. And the phone call is like, guess what? You're not getting cut. Mm-hmm. And that definitely felt like, okay, they set this up. Yeah. Told everybody what was going to happen in advance. But... What I really like are just watching just people hanging out with each other sort of between plays and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, at the end of the the penultimate episode, there was the best thing ever over the ending credits, which was just this conversation about movies between one of the players and one of the coaches named Brian Cox. Um, or one of the players was saying, talking about Vanilla Sky and how much he loves Vanilla Sky. And Brian Cox, who I guess has not seen Vanilla Sky because he thought it was like a romance. (laughs) It does sound like it does sound like it. He was like, "Oh, that sounds like a mushy movie. Like I'm not into mushy movies." Sounds like a Bath and Body Works fragrance. He's like, "Let me tell you what I like. I like any Adam Sandler movie. I haven't seen Tammy, but I bet I'm gonna like Tammy." (laughs) Uh, He's saying like 
Best Man Holiday is the best movie of the past five years, That's which I think great. is a very strong, easy to support yeah. stance. And yeah, just, you know, listen, and he was just saying like Oscar movies, like I don't care about Oscar movies. Anytime I've ever seen an Oscar movie, it's been like not as good as the movies I That's actually true. like, which is also true. <laughs> yeah. He was, say, he was saying, oh, Love and Basketball is a great movie, which it is such Checks a great out. movie. I feel like we've been talking about it a lot recently. Yeah. Um, just stuff like that. Yeah, just that conversation made me laugh so hard. Football coaches, they're just like us. They are. And there is another part earlier in the season where there was kind of a little jam session where one guy kind of freestyled just while they were waiting around. Just all the waiting around and yeah. watching how people entertain themselves while they're waiting around is very dazed and confused or something. It's I just, very sympathetic. I love it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you don't... It's definitely made in a way that it's constructed so you don't see the seams of it being kind of an advertisement for the NFL. They don't talk about, you know, issues that the NFL has with mm-hmm. injuries and things yeah. like that. Um, but I don't know. I just, you get so invested and you just come to love everybody. Yeah. I, um, yeah, I haven't watched this season yet, but I should. But I mean, I, I always, yeah, I always like that. I think that there's a way in which like a show like to use a kind of bad example the kardashians or something like attempts to show how somebody who's incredibly well paid and famous is just a normal person too and you know and the way that they do a bad job though because they are not normal people (laughs) (laughs) it's sort of interesting how they use their incredible non i remember i think i was watching last season i think uh, it was the Bengals, and there was some guy. I, I forget. He must have been on defense because he was huge, and he was getting acupuncture. He would get acupuncture like every single week, and it was so many needles. Like you've never. It was like that SNL sketch with like the blood gushing, out, except there wasn't blood, but it was just like a cartoonish amount. And you're like, and he's just sort of like. I think he knows that it's funny and it's sort of like this, how how did I get to this point in my life where I'm lying on this table and I have a million needles stuck in me? I guess this is, this is making it. (laughs) Yeah. This season, there's an episode, one guy gets a pedicure and just follows him like going to the nail salon and being like, oh yeah, I've never gotten a pedicure before, but I think I might start coming here all the time, you know? (laughs) There's time for everything. Yeah. He likes it. He's just like, oh yeah, my feet are totally beat up from being a football player. And there's another guy who just is going shopping for a massage chair. (laughs) <laughs> and he just you see him just kind of like vibing out like oh yeah like I can see me like coming home from practice and watching the the tapes and just like hanging out in this chair like holding <laughs> my chair just stuff like that I I just love it it's just really charming. Um, did you want to talk about Ariana real quick before we? Bring sure her yeah uh, she had a big hit album this week she yeah. went to number one my everything my everything. <laughs> very good and yeah. i like her it's a yeah i will say that the album is very very listenable is that begrudgingly you'll it, say i will say yeah i mean i i like it better than the stuff off of her last album yeah for sure. she's definitely becoming you know becoming who she will be yeah which i think is when people kind of knock on her performances for not being that as professional and saying you know oh, well, britney was so good when britney was 16 like why can't ariana grande right be an amazing dancer well, and an amazing singer ariana grande is like 10 times the singer that britney ever was so right. it's uh, you know and yeah. and like you know a hundred times less the dancer which is fine yeah. not every singer has to be a dancer yeah. 
Every, yeah, everybody everybody has their quality. Not everybody is Beyonce. Not yeah. everybody can belt out a song while executing really complicated <laughs> choreography. Um, but yeah, I mean, she. But I I think there was an interesting stat on this, and that she was she she had two number ones. They were her first two albums ever, and they were released within a year of each other, which is like extremely high degree of difficulty. Zach Dion wrote something about this that I kind of was sort of looking through all the, the Wikipedia stats on who's ever done this before. And Mariah, Brit- I would guess Mariah. Nope. Mariah did not do number one for her first two times. I really? Her first album did and her second didn't. Um, uh, but Britney did get two number ones, her first two, and Alanis Morissette did. Really? Yeah. The supposed former infatuation yeah. junkie went to number one? Yeah. And um, I just said the name of that album out loud. Oh, yeah. You know, I it's, can't, in, it's all in all of our brains. Yeah. Back. But you know who else did? Ashley Simpson. Oh, you know, there's a whole conversation to be had about Ashley Simpson. <laughs> because Ashley Simpson, shocked. while the huge nudes leak was happening this weekend and everybody, you know, not only did the Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie wedding story get totally shunted aside in favor of the bigger cloud hacking story. What if they hacked the cloud <laughs> to take the public eye off of the wedding because they wanted their privacy? They wanted their fake <gasps> privacy. Oh, my God. But even even more got screwed over by not being part of the bigger story was Ashley Simpson got married over the weekend oh. to Diana Ross's son, Evan Ross, and uh, nobody wanted to buy the pictures. Oh <laughs> so they released them for free because they offered them to people and then people didn't want them. And so they offered them to every other tabloid oh, and every other tabloid so said like, depressing. eh. And so they just kind of put them out on the internet. Um, and I was just, yeah, everybody was sort of, uh, oh, no, they didn't, where I was reading about this, were very, very nostalgic for Ashley Simpson, because that's like their their generation of yeah. pop music, where they were like, she got totally thrown under the bus after SNL for being the representative of the fake music industry, but like, she wasn't so bad. Uh, but I can I don't know if I agree with that. <laughs> I think I think that that might if there was going to be somebody that that happened to Ashley Simpson had some jams, but she was also just a hundred percent, you know, a product of marketing. Well, and she was one of those people who almost I don't think really had a chance ever because of her dad and like. Just well, she's the she's the Solange of Jessica Simpson. Yeah, who isn't even doing anything? Anyway, we're way we're way on topic, but I mean, I you know, I think. I think that this sort of uh, the, having the two f- number ones in a row. I mean, it's sort of like, well, you're either going to be Britney or Jess or, or or Ashley Simpson now, and it's sort of Jessica Simpson's like a jillionaire because she started yeah. a clothing line. Yeah, very just smart. like yeah. Her Did you ever watch the Ashley Simpson reality show? Um, no, wasn't that just called the Ashley Simpson show? Yeah, something? but it was about her living in the Oakwood apartments and trying to make it as a famous person. The Oakwood apartments where every aspiring yeah. famous person lives in During the valley. pilot season. Yeah. Oh my God. Um, wait, I had when friends who it? lived in that building at the same time that she did. When was it on? When was she It was doing? like, I think it was, it had to be early 2000s. I okay, like so it was, it was before. <gasps> oh my God. It's so dark. It's all so dark. The Oakwoods are like... <laughs> Oakwoods are a dark place. <laughs> they are a fascinating place. Yeah. And a dark place. It's like Melrose Place. Yeah. yeah, it is like real life temporary Melrose Place. Somebody should just make a reality show about the Oakwoods because... They did. 
Well, I mean, but like with a rotating cast, it's like really. There's or it's like Survivor, but at the Oakland. <laughs> there, there was at least a movie about it. There was at least some. There's a show or a movie called like The Star Complex that was about it. Oh well, there was a there was um, a show on the CW which well, yeah Hollywood bad, complex L A complex well, it had, yeah. which was all Canadian. Well, it was Manny from Degrassi. Yes, it was like a hundred percent Canadians in L A. Manny from so Degrassi. obviously I loved it. Yeah, <laughs> Manny from Degrassi, whose real name is Cassie Steele, was one of my favorite Degrassi people. Uh-huh. She played Manny, the girl who decides to become slutty halfway into high school. And okay. the episode where she shows up at Degrassi with her thong sticking out of her jeans is like one of the all-time Whoa. classic Degrassi That's episodes. Super, yeah, like super late, 90s late just two thousand. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> thong. Um, um, yeah, but there, I think that there was was there somebody on it from I think there was somebody on it from Firefly or something. I don't know Canadians, but. Uh, yeah, anyway, good luck to Ariana. Yeah, good luck. She's, we love you, Ariana. She's on a, I'm on the show. I, I'm coming around. I'm coming, I think I, I, I like listening to her music. I have a good time listening to her music. It's just when I have to watch a live performance. But just wait till you see her off the clock when she's talking about <laughs> demons and Freddy Krueger movies, and then you will come to love her. Um, well, it's impossible not to. <laughs> well, um, we have a special guest coming on this week uh, who has kind of been in at the center of a couple of internet flare-ups that have come up in the past week, um, one around the gaming world and one, of course, around the giant celebrity hacking scandal. Um, but we have Lee Alexander joining us from Gama Sutra and other publications. So here she is. And we are now joined by Lee Alexander. She's a critic and a writer of games. She writes for Gama Sutra, Vice UK, The Guardian. Um, she's joining us via Skype from... Sunny England, <laughs> where it's probably actually not sunny at all right now. Uh, oh. But but thank you for joining us at this late hour where you are right now. Oh, thanks for having me. Actually, miraculously, it was sunny today. We've gotten lucky with the weather. Nice. So um, it's been uh, it's been an interesting week in your world right now. And um, yeah, it's been like a bad couple of weeks. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I remember a little while ago. I think during when E three was happening, and I was kind of just doing a quick story about kind of the the typical gender bullshit that comes up there uh, every week and thinking like, oh man, can it get much worse than this? And then this week, I feel like everybody's sort of outdone themselves. But you've been kind of at the center of it um, and kind of very active on Twitter about it too, which is sort of where it's, I guess the, the shorthand we can refer to this whole kerfuffle as is um, Gamergate. But Yeah, that's Gamergate is the hashtag that the true gamers have elected for themselves in order to pursue their interrogation into, uh, oh God, I guess what they would say is it's corruption in video games journalism and the fact that their medium is being taken over by a uh, uh, feminists and social justice warriors who want to push their agenda on everyone. That's the scandal that uh, gamers today are facing right. in America. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's tough out there, you know. So many yeah. social justice warriors just they won't. I know. Just want to just want to have 
more uh, more diverse characters, have more people playing, make the medium a little more open, a little less commercially constrained, you know, yeah. make it kind of appealing and popular. And, and uh, it's not terrible. It's going to ruin everything. And so maybe you should you should um, you might be the best person to kind of wind it back and tell us sort of how this all started. Um, I guess with Zoe Quinn might be a good place. to Yeah, start, or? I, I can sort of start there. You mentioned E3 and actually. Yeah. I haven't gone to E3 in, in many years, even though my full-time job is to write about video games, and, and I write, I'm freelance, I write for a variety of publications, I've done this for about eight years now, um, and I've stopped going to E3 because, personally, I've sort of lost interest in the big blockbuster commercial arm of the games world, because totally. it's, you know, it has so many commercial challenges, it's really doubled down on a, on a dying demographic, which is this idea of the hyper-testosterone junkie 18 to 24 three-year-old male, which, you know, all kinds of people like games and geek culture, and like Game of Thrones is one of the most popular television shows ever, so it's like, it's no longer a special niche treehouse uh, for angry young men, but, you know, they haven't got the memo on that yet, so, you know, I've sort of, sort of like, like, let's say you're a film critic, and, you know, you're going to want to go to film festivals and all kinds of things, but you're maybe not going to be you know, the first in line to treat a Michael Bay weekend as a cultural event. You know, not, not that there's anything wrong with pop culture, <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, you know, I, I don't, I don't personally like to divide like high culture and low culture so easily, but yeah. that's one of the reasons I haven't, you know, I, I find the most interesting things for me to cover are, um, you know, independent game developers, new creators, people um, making things with new tools, um, new platforms, you know, new audiences. I'm just, I'm into new stuff. And, uh, the traditional audience has historically um, been really pushing back against the new stuff um, with particular attention to the participation of women and minorities in games. Um, they're going to say it's not about that. You know, like, it's, it's, it's not that we're sexist. It's that the games they are making aren't real. You know, like, they'll, yeah. come, up with, they'll come up with any kind of gatekeeping um, language that they can use to condemn the work of new creators and, and women and minorities and, and queer people and stuff like that. So that's been going on for, for quite a while. I've always taken a lot of flack as a woman who writes about video right. games and who uh, is eager for diversity in my field. But um, yeah, so Zoe Quinn is a, a woman game developer. She made a game called Depression Quest, uh, and she made it in Twine, which means it's like a hypertext-based uh, game. So there's not a lot of graphics. It's not really high-tech. You don't kill anyone. <laughs> like, well, I hope yeah. not, because it's a game that is designed to show people what the experience of dealing with depression is it's, like. It's a flowchart, basically, but it's a yeah. you know, well-written and you know a very useful tool for absolutely. You know, people who are... And and to say something actually in favor of uh, why it's interesting that she made that experience available through a game. Um, the game offers you choices, but you know if you're not doing well, you can see the choices, but you can't select them. Yes, which yeah. I think is. That's a really powerful metaphor that could only be delivered through a game. And um, I'm, I was pretty impressed with Zoe's work. And, and Zoe never really released her game and declared it declared it was any kind of grand statement about gaming. She just made a game that she hoped would help people. And, uh, of course, the traditional gamer audience um, has kind of had it out for her ever since. She didn't make a real game. She's not a real game developer. You know, her, when she put her game up for, for sale on Steam, you know, people tried to get it pulled down and sent her harassing messages and stuff. And so that was about a year ago that, you know, she she was already a target in these people's eyes. Um, but a couple weeks ago, she had a jilted ex who uh, published a really ugly sort of manifesto of their relationship, which any healthy person looks at his post and, go and realizes the problem is with him. You know, who does that? <laughs> yeah. Right? Like, yeah. it's, it's just like a tacky tell-all blog post design. You know, he knew that he was taking aim at her in the public eye when she was already vulnerable, you know, from all these hostile men. And he just knew it was a good way to hurt her. 
after she, um, you know, I don't know what went on in their relationship, but he alleges that, you know, she had had affairs in their relationship and she had seen other men. And, uh, you know, that's none of my business. Yeah, and, the point is that it's sort of yeah, yeah totally irrelevant to her career as a developer, exactly. a writer and anything. Exactly. Yeah. But of course, like for some, so for some reason, all of these people who already had it out for her latched onto this as, you know, proof of her hypocrisy and that, you know, that she was, you know, she was a bad person. And, and it, one of the people that she was alleged to have had an affair with was another journalist and uh, was a game journalist. And uh, he like never. So basically the narrative that they distilled was she slept with a guy to get positive reviews, which didn't happen. He never reviewed her game. Right. Um, you know, most of us are no longer reviewers anyway. Like we don't. You know, many of us do, but your average game journalist has matured out of putting scores on things. Like we're trying right. to look at games as, as cultural objects and not as products that you can rate and put in a catalog and tell gamers buy or not. You know what I mean? Like yeah. we, we, we're not, we're even out of that milieu. We don't, we don't look at or talk about games in that way anymore. Um, but so the narrative blew completely out of control thanks to these trolls. They wanted a full interrogation of journalistic ethics that were all corrupt. I'm corrupt. Um, you know, and interestingly enough, even though their problem was about journalistic corruption, their their enemy was the woman and not the journalist that she was alleged to have uh, right. committed corruption with. So, like, already there's, I mean, really, any reasonable person looks at this and says it's a bunch of misogynistic basement trolls who are, like, freaking out because they feel that their hobby is being lost as it matures. Yeah. Um, which, you know, is a fair maybe thing for them to be worried about, but the, the behavior is totally out of control. I wrote an editorial um, about the changing d gamer demographic and it's sort of shifting away. You know, we now live in an environment where those people's needs are not being aggressively catered to by marketing firms. Like, you know, thanks to the Internet and, and multiple platforms, there's many ways, you know, for people to participate in games. And, uh, you know, I sort of. I phrased it a bit like bombastically and, and other people did as well. There were a number of articles on the death of the gamer as right, a market right. category. But of course, I've, I'm committing slander and libel against gamers and I'm corrupt because I'm also a consultant on projects that I don't write about. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, they're, yeah. Find, they're finding anything that they can in our past and our personal lives to wage war against women in games who are outspoken while claiming it's unfair for them to be tarred as like misogynistic people who don't understand how normal social networking or business networking works. Like yeah. I've seen these like flow charts about how people that they, they found people on Twitter in the same field who talk to each other and they've made flow charts of this as evidence of corruption. Like it's very, very childish and absurd. And unfortunately it coincided with um, the release of Anita Sarkeesian's newest video. And, um, for people who aren't familiar with Anita Sarkeesian's work, she just does a very simple, accessible series of videos that examines, through the lens of feminist critique, um, tropes that appear in video games. Not saying the video games are bad, not saying the video games hurt people, not saying that the developer shouldn't make them, but she just wants to have a conversation about right. how women are treated in games. It's a very simple mandate, and uh, as a result, she got death threats that you know, she was no longer able to return to her home uh, during the time that she released the video. So it's really extreme stuff that's happening out there and uh do you get the sense it, that those two things happen completely uh, at the same time just a, a, as a matter of happenstance or do you think that it was just like the community was already riled up and they were already riled up i don't i'm i, I anita spends a lot of time putting her videos together i'm sure she didn't time it purposefully uh to drop it like a bomb into the middle of a scandal but right. yeah no the community's already riled up and at any other time of year, I could have made an editorial critiquing gamer archetypes and, you know, I would have gotten flack for it, but not like this. Right. Uh, so it's really just this community of lovely people is just being super raw nerve right now. And like, if you if you have anything to say, 
about what's going on. If you have any criticism of gaming culture as a result of all of this, you're you're part of the problem and you're taking the wrong side and you're going to be attacked on the internet. It's it's been kind of it's been something. Yeah, I think I think the thing that's sort of I think that you pointed out in your piece and also Devin Faraci at Badass Digest did a piece that was kind of on a lot of the same points. And he was doing it more from I used to be one of these guys. I used to be one of these, you know, kind of hateful people on the Internet because I was like like a misfit teen. And like, well, we all used to be everybody horrible on the Internet. Yeah, I think you tweeted about that, too. And I was like, that's I think that, you know, I think everybody who's currently a gaming writer has empathy for being a, a, an anonymous troll. An anonymous troll on the yes. internet at some point. Everybody's been in those, you know, message boards. and uh, But it's just, you know, it does kind of make you wonder if things are worse now because of the how long the market is sort of catered to these kinds of kids. Yeah. Because um, I don't feel like, fair. yeah, I don't feel like it was necessarily the case 10, 12 years ago or something to, to yeah, the extent. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. I think... I think in in large part social media exposes us to reactionary behavior more than it would if otherwise. I don't know what this, I honestly can't tell how many trolls there are or what the size of the problem is, uh, but I know that my exposure to it is greater. Um, and then of course a couple of days later there's the, um, you know, the leaking of many celebrities' personal photos and people are, are, you know, often attributing these actions to similar communities, but I don't believe that there's one single body of horrible, evil internet people uh, against which all others are opposed. The fact is we've all been that person once um, for a minute. You know what I mean? And uh, yeah, I can't really, I can't really source where it's coming from, but I do think it's worth looking at gaming culture. Um, You know, it encourages us to have power fantasies. It encourages us to be systems thinkers. So we assume we're living in an ecosystem that has a logic to it. And that if we're not doing well, the system must be to blame. Like, you know, there's, there's maybe something that people who like video games have in common culturally that exacerbates this conflict, but it, it's really hard to tell. If I stay off Twitter, I feel really supported um, by people in my professional <laughs> yeah. life. You know what I mean? Like, I, you know, I get plenty. Like, I have, I have people with, like, 12 Twitter followers saying that I'm a nothing blogger whose career is going to be ruined by this episode. And, of course, that's not happening. I have, like, more offers for work as a result of the visibility created by this piece. And, you know, if I stay off Twitter and if I just, you know, stay within my personal and my professional and my peer group, you know, I think my, my life is mostly populated by rational people who happen to like video games, work in video games and yeah. write about video games and that things are probably fine. So, yeah, I don't know which to, to the extent to which, you know, social media makes the wound feel more raw. Yeah, it definitely makes it easier for people to get in contact with you to tell you how much they hate you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, but they did that before Twitter. Like I got, <laughs> I got comments and I, oh, there were threads about me on forums and I got emails about right. it. You know, a friend so of mine was like, just I, telling me about a time she pissed off the magician community. <laughs> like, like the hobbyist magic. Yeah, yeah. You know, she wrote a, oh. a profile, I think, of David Blaine, where maybe she okay. he explained a trick or something, and the magicians who guard their secrecy were yeah there was like a whole message board thread about how she was like ruining magic by (laughs) exposing their secrets but i do think i think what you were saying about you know it's not that the nudes leak is is related necessarily but it does feel like both things kind of come out of the same culture which is this culture of anonymous trolling that makes people feel 
like they can say things that they can't back up, that they can say yeah. really threatening, especially gendered threatening, evil things, and uh, know that it will scare people, that that is, yeah. that they want to scare people out of expressing those opinions by being like, oh, you know, if we just threaten you every time you express an opinion we don't like, then you'll be too scared to express those opinions. Um, yeah, but like, it, and I think we all feel like powerless in the world right now. Like right before the, the thing happened with Zoe, I was, I'm in England watching Ferguson happen in America via social media. And of course, the, you know, you can't compare the two events, but, you know, I'm in a climate of heightened fear all the time, no matter what the issue is that I'm dealing with. And so I'm watching two shows at the same time. I'm, like I'm watching Utopia, I'm watching Orphan Black, and these are like <laughs> sci-fi entertainment where nobody trusts the police and there's always a conspiracy going on. And, you know, I think, I think the fact that we're all connected digitally now um, makes us hyper aware, makes us hyper fearful, makes us feel like there could be conspiracy lurking around every corner and, and makes us hypersensitive to things that happen. And it does all feel related. And, and the trolls that you get, you know, on these issues are all the same kinds of people. The ridiculous thing about this Gamergate for me was seeing people compare it to like, they're like, they're, they're drawing analogies between, like, not all gamers are terrible people, just like not all Muslims are in ISIS. And I'm like, really? You're comparing gaming wow. to, like, massive global sociopolitical problems? I saw on the Gamergate hashtag someone was using a Martin Luther King quote to promote their identity as a gamer in the face of this slander. And it's just so out of proportion. Yeah. Like, and that, I, I have to... Yeah, I have to try to think about, like, what is their lives that they think they're in a massive global conflict? Every time I hear the phrase social justice warrior, I sort of <laughs> mentally check out because I it's, it's, like, politically correct. Or you're like, well, you know, how do you villainize a progressive yeah. cause by using new language to try and make it sound like it's yeah. something that it's is like bad? If, if you ask somebody five years ago, like... If, is a social justice warrior a good person or a bad person? <laughs> like, I mean, but also the thing is that when, when I mean stuff like the Martin Luther King thing and like when people are just drawing these insane, underinformed comparisons to this That's struggle, so it's well, it also just makes it 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 reaffirms my impression that so many of these people are teenagers. Like that, like it's a very I mean, and obviously they're not all, but like I think a, a lot of them, I think a, a bulk of them are. And yeah, they have to be, and they feel powerless, and they want to feel like they're in a noble fight for something because yeah. the world around them is confusing. They can't trust their authority figures, and and we're so, again, we're so exposed to everything that's wrong in the world over social media. I'm sure as a natural coping mechanism it's probably expected that these young people would get drawn into these imaginary battles um i think the other thing that i found really interesting about i mean a lot of this is like what you said it was sort of like it's like gatekeeping of mm. the community i mean is that and really a problem though like you know people are people really worried that there's not going to be enough grand theft auto to go around right i well that's the thing is that it like it seems like that's like it's yeah. like movie genres. It's like, okay, well, if you like action movies, there will always be action movies. The, you know, of course. The yeah, they, it's like everyone come. says, like, no one is coming to take away your shitty toys. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. It, it, and there's just something like this whole time, I think, especially, you know, as, as games have gotten more sophisticated and, and you know, the, the gaming community and developers and everything, you know, it's there's sort of a move to get it more taken seriously as an art form mm. and that's exactly what people like you and different writers and all the, these so-called social, social warriors no, au, au contraire social, I'm destroying gaming with my oh, social sorry. justice people, yeah. sorry. people get very angry when you talk about inclusionism yeah. like, like you're yeah. trying to like, like inclusionism is fascist and you're trying to 
impress some kind of agenda on them that they that they won't have. But you know, I I like the Grand Theft Auto games a lot, and uh, I do too. They're fine. Yeah, I wrote something last year, kind of saying, you know, oh, what if they ever had a female lead in one of these games? And that was like the most trolling I've ever gotten for writing yeah. anything. And I just realized, yeah, I went through the same thing. Yeah, yeah, just even suggesting that they're not be different, but more or yeah. choices. And you know, uh, I know when Emily Nussbaum, the New Yorker's TV critic, was sort of she was sort yeah, of I know her. one of the few people who kind of wasn't into True Detective and she had some really good points about, you know, that it wasn't that so much that she didn't like the show is that she was just tired of every show being the same show and this was kind yeah. of the breaking point for her was like, oh, okay, another show about difficult men and, you know, misogyny that... Murdered ladies. Murdered ladies. Or, like, or the letter that the woman who plays Skylar White wrote, yeah, like, why stuff... do people hate me because I'm Skylar White? Right, and just like <laughs> yeah. the backlash that, that Emily Nussbaum got for that was so insane because it's like, oh well, she's a TV critic. She's allowed to express an opinion. She's literally doing her job. Yeah. And, like, well, right. I, and, and we're, we're all literally doing our yeah. jobs. And we yeah. have people saying, you know, your biased opinions are corrupting journalism. Like, they don't even know what they're talking about. Right. Like, that's what, that's what criticism is, is having a biased yes. opinion, right? It's your yeah. personal opinion. You know, and I, I love True Detective, and I yeah, definitely so do I. <laughs> had some of the same issues that Emily had, but it's like, we could have a real normal conversation about it that was intelligent instead of it just devolving into somebody shouting down somebody else that they're wrong, which is just when people try start trying to shout you down, it does feel very like, yeah, you know, it's like, what what's can the you point do? of consuming stops, consuming things, unless you're going to have a conversation about it, you're open to talking about it. I mean, I think games in particular haven't really actually had criticism before we had reviews buy it or not. And now we actually have criticism and they don't know what it is to just simply, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> to just simply wish to have a conversation about something yeah. and, they, and they find it offensive. It's, a, it's an affront to journalism that our biased opinions are killing the industry and well, they, they, they don't even know what it is. Well, it's a new element in a world where, you know, before there was nobody really, there were no checks and balances, at least like, you know, uh, intellectually about things mm. like it was just, it was all just supposed to be fun. It's like, would you write a serious review about Pac-Man or like... <laughs> Right, yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. We, we both would. Never mind. <laughs> I I, I do you, think... could draw, you could draw some some cool consumption and, and medication <laughs> analyses about that. It is. It's just really interesting. You know, kind of bad, interesting, but just you know what you think about with a liminal space or a space that hasn't been legitimized yet in sort of the public critical consciousness is that it should be a space for everybody. That you yeah. know, gaming because it's uh, you know still there is kind of a establishment that doesn't accept it as being on the level of film or TV and TV was always kind of the the you know bastard little sister of movies yeah. and that has recently sort of become like that everybody loves TV so much mm-hmm. and obviously games are a thing that people are, have started to realize that it's not just you know for kids that it is I hope so I feel like after all this episode any normal person who is interested <laughs> in games is probably going to rescind their interest which yeah, is depressing no no but something something like <laughs> no she's like no, no, I, no. Hope, I mean I hope not you know I hope I hope it encourages you know I, I don't know I mean the, the games that I play I'm not a big gamer but the games that I play tend to be like Nintendo games, which I feel like have yeah. always been sort of the company that caters to not the the main gamer demographic, yeah. but, you know, openly is like, oh, we're going after women, we're going after, you know, adults that wouldn't otherwise play video games. Well, and more being, I mean, this is something that I kind of wrote about a little while ago, but I feel like, you know, the whole thing to for games to be seen as more sophisticated is to kind of have these plots that mimic, you know, male-oriented TV and, and TV and movies. And yeah. I feel like the thing, at least especially recently, like, 
what has differentiated what Nintendo when what Nintendo is doing so much is that it's less about a narrative, which is what everybody has always assumed is going to be the thing that makes. Uh, makes a game right, more sophisticated, like more adult. Yeah, yeah, let's be more like movies. Let's have more violence. Let's be stuff more and... adult by having even balder, more grizzled, angry yeah. men punching but, more but, women. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, Nintendo games are kind of just like, well, what's the game? Like, what is the thing that is going to get you the most hooked on this? Yeah. And should it have, you know, little squid or <laughs> like, you know, it's 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 very much not thinking on those same that that same scale of like what's quality versus what's right and not linear narrative mm-hmm. being sort of the only thing that legitimizes something, which I also feel like is something Emily Nostrum has talked about in terms of the whole golden age of TV is the idea that if a TV show is, looks more like a movie and acts more like a movie, it gets taken more seriously. Mm-hmm. And that yeah. something like True Detective that is beautifully shot and directed automatically gets taken more seriously than something like Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which is really smart. Intentionally pop culture. Yeah, yeah. and just, mm-hmm. you know, intent looks like TV. It looks like what yeah. you expect TV to look like. It doesn't look like it had an amazing cinematographer. No offense to the cinematographers <laughs> on Buffy. Um, but there is, you know, there's a super gendered aspect to that. And it does feel like there's a yeah. really gendered aspect to the idea that a game like Grand Theft Auto, which again, I do think is a great game series, but that that, that is the way to make games legitimate is to make them feel like movies and not to go right. kind of into the more experimental zones that are what is really exciting about gaming to me is the idea that you yeah. can make a non-linear narrative or just something that the goals are kind of ambiguous and, mm-hmm. you know, things that come into indie gaming more. Um, yeah. And so it does feel like this, I mean, I'm, I'm going to be taking an optimistic viewpoint of like the more pushback there is, that means that maybe things are changing. Well, I think it's interesting. I have to believe you're right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think it's interesting too, because I mean, those, the when you're talking about games and the things that end up being the big crossover hits that, you know, people who don't game normally think uh, like you get into like Minecraft and stuff like that. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I wrote a piece a while back about Myst and, and, you know, that got a lot of, that was a hugely popular game and oh, lots of people that. who yeah, never, that's a really good article. Oh, thank you. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I mean, that game was hugely popular, but, you know, a lot of the core gaming community, you know, was like, what's, you know, this isn't even a game. It's just a hyper card stack and, and, you know, kind of saw it as an affront to their core gaming values, whatever those may be. Yeah, and it was one of the most popular games of all yeah, time. Yeah, and it's, and I think, you know, I think that there's something to be said for a community having values and like there being different levels of what, what's hardcore versus not, but I just, I... I think that all those things can totally exist in yeah, the same universe. They exist together. I completely yeah. agree. Yeah. And you're definitely onto something with the TV and movies, like production values comparison. That for a long time, um, the value of games was determined by how much money was spent to make them and how high end their production values were. Um, partially because you know they had to sell hardware. Um, but now that games are available on so many different platforms, the the cost of the technology involved is less of a factor because it's more important that something be able to be played on as many platforms as possible. I mean, companies simply now have to recoup the investments that that they're making in these things. And it's getting less and less viable to just develop these high-end, incredibly quote-unquote adult things. And, and people are having to explore more what play is and who the audience for play is. And they're not coming up with, like, the uh, rich, white, young gadget adopter anymore, you know? And, yeah. and that's so hard for them to accept. They're so sad that they're not, like, a relevant market demographic anymore. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I don't know. We, it just feels like that, that story was sort of bubbling up maybe into the weekend and then the celebrity hacking scandal came along and it kind of felt like, 
I felt like that conversation got pushed out because this, this, the there was same so, audience. It was, yeah, it was the same audience. The it was, car crash. yeah, and it was, it was so, I feel like there was such an overlap as far as the communities involved and stuff and, you know, and, and, you know, what everybody kind of <laughs> getting acquainted with 4chan again, which, you know, I feel like we have to the do everything. I always wonder about with, with things like 4chan and Reddit is that, you know, your mind does automatically think, oh, these are all teenagers who are, trying, you know, like testing out boundaries using the internet and using this anonymous (laughs) veil of anonymousness that they get. Uh, But, you know, what is kind of scary to think about is what if these are all normal people that are just insane on the internet, which I do think is also a thing is, you know, what if these are people that seem respectable, normal humans, and then this is just like where their weird, dark parts of their id come out because nobody is going to identify them as being specific people. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's a total, yeah, I feel like it's such a cyberpunk trope come to life. Like, you know, the <laughs> totally. normal guy in the cubicle next door could be <laughs> leaking nudes of underage Olympians. You know, yeah, it's yeah like totally. Really I didn't, I mean, that was, that was the most shocking one to me because I was like, I didn't even realize people wanted to see underage Olympians naked, which yeah. makes me feel naive for not realizing that, you know, the fact that it was so aggressively about like, let's get people that don't want their pictures to be seen. Yeah. Yeah. It, I, I don't know. It just seemed, that was another thing. Well, I was telling Molly when I was first just sort of trying to catch up with what was happening in the gaming community and going through and going to the usual sources that I would go to to try to find out what had happened and like going to the Reddit threads that were, that seemed to be the most important or whatever. Uh, it was so hard to get through to the rational voice who's like, okay, what really happened here? How did these pictures leak? Like, it, you know, how do we actually feel about this? It was just like the the dominant voice was such the celebratory dude voice. Well, that's always the yeah. dominant voice because it's always yeah. the loudest voice in any conversation, I think. And But how dare you imply that any of this has to do with sexism? Right, Men exactly. have their privacy violated too. And that yeah. was my sarcasm voice because of course it has to be. <laughs> But you know, I was thinking about it though and like if a big A-list male star got hacked, you know, I would look at I mean, pictures. I feel like I would almost feel more permission because it's not a usual power balance. I don't know. I don't feel permission but to look do, at anyone. I do feel like uh, like men's news, like everyone's saying, like, oh, it's not, you know, it's such a bigger deal when women's news get leaked. And I was like, I feel like men have so much more to lose because we sort of can guess what women look like naked. Yeah. yeah. But they have to t- mostly take everything off. Anyway. Yeah. Did you see that thing on, on Gawker where Idris Elba had a microphone in his pocket? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and he was just like, he was like, he was such a good sport about it. But if it yeah. had been speculation about a woman, it like, it's just a well, John, different John power Hamm dynamic. Not, John Hamm, uh, there were a lot of pictures of him. Oh, yeah. free ball. Clingy pants. He was not he, happy about it at all. And everybody yeah. was like, ask Christina Hendricks how she feels about yeah. being interviewed about her body constantly. Yeah. That's I just, guess everybody has different boundaries and the internet makes us forget what boundaries are. Right. And maybe it would be informative for men to understand what it's like to have that sort of constant you know, just constantly being reinforced that you don't have power and your power can be taken away yeah. at any minute, that you always have to be afraid and that you don't belong in a public space. And the Internet is a public space, just like the real world where you have to be afraid all the time. Yeah. yeah. And then there's something no, about, you know, and, and if, if, you know, on the on the off chance that your uh, pictures of you, yourself naked are out there in the world and it's like, your sexuality is out there to be seen like it's immediately something foolish to be mm. like to be laughed at in some way or another and like i just 
I don't know. That's that's I think kind of a depressing thing about it to me is that it's not. Yeah, it's definitely a, a victimization thing for sure. Well, people are simultaneously treating you as superhuman and then trying to dehumanize you, which is yeah. a weird juxtaposition. Yeah. Well, people were saying like if this hadn't been Jennifer Lawrence, would people have had as much empathy as they did, or do you know did people have so much empathy because Jennifer Lawrence is like America's best friend and we all feel like she's somebody that we could be friends with and know, and if this happened to her, we'd feel bad about it. Versus well, if it were somebody who you know were more of like like Carmen Electra or somebody somebody a slut. <laughs> well, okay. no somebody, I'm kidding <laughs> somebody whose career is more directly tied to like right. being sexualized and you know if you're Katy Perry or somebody everybody yeah. would say like oh that's what she gets for like ever showing her tits in public well did you see the kind of trending thing on Twitter that was I think that Anna Kendrick was maybe a part of that was like if they leaked my pics and it was like oh there would just be pictures of my dog or right, because I am not a slut right. and, and, that was the other thing yeah. was that people were there was a lot of just like victim blaming of like well you should never take any pictures of yourself naked or let anybody take them because that means yeah because then it's happen. on you yeah we're, we're really coming up against these ideals at this point and I think like even slut shaming as a phrase was not even was not in common vocabulary two years ago. But the rise of social media has made it actually possible for us to have a, a conversation about our rights Although, to our space and our I bodies. Will, I will say at this point, I feel like any time anybody brings up the word slut shaming, and it's happened before on Grantland pieces before, it's like that's a trigger for so many mm. kinds of readers, and usually the kinds of readers you want to reach the most, if you mm. use the word slut shame, is like they click away, they like don't <laughs> want to hear it anymore. It's just like we have to Wait, find. Sorry, wing- you can you can bleep me out. I'm sorry, I said it. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously, but um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. It just feels like all these things have sort of come to a head at the same time and maybe not. There's definitely a kind of critical mass, but it also feels like I'm not sure what we should do about it. Yeah, I mean, that's what I kind of wanted to ask you about is just like, because I remember feeling in the middle of the gamer stuff when that was happening, like what's, I'm afraid to say Gamergate now. (laughs) As as I I say, as long as as I can hear the finger quotes. Oh yeah. Uh, when Gamergate was happening, <laughs> I just did finger quotes. Very good, very good. Okay, great. Uh, uh, you know, I I was just I kind of had a similar feeling that I felt during other you know similar internet things like this where I'm just like, how does this end productively? How does it not turn into everybody just yelling at each other and then going home and then like doing it again in a year? Uh, I mean, I, what we do you don't know? Yeah. Like my friend dug up an article that he wrote in 2012 about the loss of identity that, that gamers were experiencing. And my friends are talking about like, well, you know, I, I underwent sexist harassment when I first started in the industry five years ago. So it's not getting better for me. And like, that's, you know, is there a productive outcome, but for us rather than for us to just sort of ride the wave of social change and pray that it gets better eventually and, and pray that increased communication tools make things easier instead of harder. You know, like I wish I had a good answer to that. Yeah. I mean, I, I, hope, mean I, I hope visibility does solve some things. I hope that having people yeah. like you who are saying, okay, I'm going to keep writing about this and talking about this and I'm not going to be bullied into not talking about it anymore. Yeah. That hopefully that helps, you know, cause I'm sure there are a lot of women who want to be in the industry <clears throat> or, you know, young women who, you know, that they don't, they aren't going to be put off by something like this because they'll see that there are people that are just sticking through it. And yeah. yeah. Like I, I speak at a lot of conferences and the last time I gave a keynote, like a, a older woman was in the audience and she raised her hand. She's like, you know, I have a daughter 
in fifth grade and she really wants to join games but you know i've heard that it is challenging for women and is it getting better like by the time she gets out of high school is there going to be a career in games for her and i was just like um <laughs> i, I think so, so. I, <laughs> yeah I, I think it's getting better like i wish i had something I more feel, encouraging I feel like you to can say. say that about any industry too i mean mm-hmm. it's definitely yeah. very it's easier to track in something like media where you can point to specific things and say like here's some an example of it getting better and here's an example of how it hasn't gotten better at all but um well, I feel like I a lot of it with games is is the marketing. I feel like that if there's a, a cycle of, you know, reinforcement of a certain kind of status quo, that I think that the marketing is such a huge part of that because that's the that's the medium that's probably oh, speaking yeah. to these sorts of kids the loudest. I mean, there is a there is such a critical mass now at least among writers and critics who are, you know, of the same mind as you and, you know, I think a lot of the people who have those platforms are, you know, doing what they can to to try to, you know, change minds in a certain way. But I think that at a certain point, like, it has to also come from the people who are actually selling the games and making the culture itself. Emily and I got really excited about the show Halt and Catch Fire on AMC. (laughs) And one of the first reasons we were excited about it was because it just has a really great female character who is Mm. like a gamer and a programmer and really great. It's depressing to just be excited because there's a cool woman character. (laughs) It is. It is. It's sort of like the, the, you know, low expectations problem. But I I, know, but I I go through the same thing. She's such a great character and and it just makes me be like, oh, I hope that there are kids who see this, that there are girls who see this and don't even know that there's anything, you know, sure, to be there are. about. Have to be. Yeah, just, uh, I don't And know. you're totally right about the marketing as well. Like, that was one of my main points in my editorial, that people who create content and people who market content have to sort of take responsibility for the messages that they're sending and, and for the culture they're creating through the products that they create. They can't just be like, oh, it's just a few bad apples. We have to say, like, how did we get to this point? What is wrong with video games? And yeah. what role did each of us play? Right. You know, and, and, and the, um, idea, the idea of like booth babes, you know, is a video game thing, but it's also something that kind of spreads across all of culture that women are ornamentation yeah. and mm-hmm. they are to be sexual objects. And that's something that's very, you know, obvious in gaming because you can literally say like, oh, these women are in the background and they're objects and they're not even actresses. They're mm-hmm. yeah. you know, somebody designed them to just stand there. Yeah. Um, and that has nothing to do with the quality of the games, but it has like a lot to do with how the culture operates. Right. But yeah, and it's like yeah. we use women's bodies to sell everything. Mm-hmm. You know, there's not like a product that that doesn't sometimes get that treatment. So yeah. it I does. mean, there's nothing really for me. There's nothing wrong with women's bodies per se. Like I love when people go to Comic Con and they have a ton of cosplay and they have a great time. I think the thing that's falling out of fashion is that that removal of the woman's agency and her participation yeah, exactly. in this yeah. culture. Yeah. Like. And, and booth babes definitely are out of fashion. Like major conferences have revised their policies on that. Even E3, I think, has a new policy on that. Where it's, oh really? You know, they have yeah, they have certain guidelines. It's less permissible. You can't. And at GDC, huh. which um, you know, full disclosure, the company that owns GDC also owns Gumsutra, which I work for. But you know, we have a policy. The com- their conference has a policy where you can't have that. So it's hmm. like I think there's just um, anytime you tell somebody they can't do something there's a backlash and well yeah well the thing they don't realize is it's not just out of fashion it's not selling anymore like the traditional industry is contracting those games not selling the way they used to anymore because the audience has grown up and they want something else so like unfortunately like the numbers are going to determine the culture and when that stuff stops selling and and falls out of fashion or you know when it becomes lucrative to target different markets i think that's we'll start to see change yeah Yeah, i mean we were very excited also about lucy this summer the scarlett johansson movie just because it you know 
I have nothing. I haven't seen that yet. Oh, it's great. It's yeah. It's 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 like everything you want out of that kind of. If you yeah, if you it's very like orphan black. It's uh, wicked sort of yeah. uh, It's got a lot going for it, but also just because it made money, other people will say, oh, okay, we can put a woman in an action movie and have her be the star. And did better than so many other male-fronted action films this summer too. I mean, it was just a really good statement. And like, yeah, unfortunately, it does have to come down to money most of the time. Diversity, if diversity does, I mean, that's the same thing about like Shonda Rhimes shows are incredibly popular. Yeah. There's no, you know, particular push for diversity on television. But when somebody does take the initiative to do it themselves, like she did, those shows are more popular than any other show. And I definitely think part of it is because they are so diverse and it looks more like the real world around you than, you know, most shows do. And there's an entry point for pretty much anybody if you want to get it. Yeah. I think just as a woman, you're always looking for that entry point for everybody. You know, yeah. not just for women, but for any kind for of for everybody. Yeah. Like things, things that are alienating to women are often alienating to, you know, like there's this, an assumption that men like X and women like Y, but it's actually only a small portion of men yeah. that like this X. Like most yeah. of my guy friends are tired of. It's not that they're offended; it's that they're tired of repetitious tropes. Yeah, like yeah. it's not that we want to cover up all the boobs and like remove, yeah, you know, exactly. any power balance scenes from anything, or it's make more things less want. fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah we, of course. Like think, we yeah. just want. Of diversity of choice. We want people to be able to feel that when they go to quote unquote geekdom or sci fi and fantasy or games or, or anything, that there's something for them. Yeah. yeah, and again, all those things that you think, you know, that are sort of painted as being traditionally for white male geeks, like sci fi and fantasy, it's not, it's for everybody. And that's why Game of Thrones is so popular, yeah. is because yeah. anything that is kind of in this liminal space, you know, people that are marginalized are going to be drawn to it. And a lot of people that are marginalized are women and people of color and queer people. And those yeah. are a huge audience. And why wouldn't you cater to those yeah. people? They're going to buy like, stuff. Yeah, I haven't actually seen, like, it's get, I'm, most of the shows that I watch now have more positive examples than negative examples. So obviously, if people are listening, and obviously it's selling. So I just have to feel hopeful, even if. And, and someone someone used the phrase extinction burst on the internet to refer to the trolls. Like when you're training a dog, its bad behavior gets worse right before the dog learns. And so it's huh. like this is just people are, are burning out. They're flaring up because yeah. their time is over. And that's why they're angry. And because they, they can't deny that change is happening. And they're being catered to less exclusively than they're accustomed to. And that's why yeah. the violence. And that's why the negativity. Well... It's been really awesome having you on here. It's uh, it's been awesome. To, I, I we've we've never uh, spoken, I guess, IRL or anything like that. So it's been great to meet you uh, via <laughs> oh, it's podcast. So great to meet you too. <laughs> yeah, I'm such a fan of both of you. I, I love to read the things you write, and oh, it's just cool to come and talk about like geek stuff and pop culture at the same time. Yeah. And yeah. Well, um, we should definitely have you back on sometime. Oh, I'd love to. Uh, maybe yeah. even IRL. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, in the in the meat space. Maybe yes. maybe when there's something happy to talk about or something cool <laughs> going oh, I on hope so. too. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. It's such a pleasure to just have a good conversation about everything. Oh, well, thank totally. you so much for calling in. All right. Well, uh, that's it for girls and hoodies this week. Uh, we will see y'all next week. Bye. Thank you for listening to Grantland. To hear more Grantland shows in your earballs, subscribe to Grantland Sports and Grantland Pop Culture on iTunes. Or go to grantland.com and click on Podcasts.